Money Mind, expanding your mind when it comes to money matters. Here's your host, Tanya Carlson from Amplify Wealth Management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Money Mind. I'm excited about today's guest, Chris McCormack. Uh, Chris is known to many as Macca, and he has an enviable professional sporting career as world champion in both triathlon and Ironman competition. In 1997, Macca was ranked number one in the world, winning both the ITU Triathlon World Championships and the Triathlon World Cup Series, becoming the first male triathlete ever to win both titles and be ranked number one in the world in a single season. He was ranked number one for more than 26 months in total. And in 2002, shifted focus to Ironman racing. Uh, He won Ironman Australia on debut in 2002 and then again for a consecutive next five years. Um, He also competed in the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii and became Ironman World Champion in 2007 with a winning time of 8 hours and 15 minutes and 34 seconds, uh, including a a two-hour 42 marathon in very hot conditions. He won this title again in 2010. And after 20 years, uh, retired from professional sport and focused more on his growing business interests, which include being the CEO and co-founder of Mana Sports Entertainment, Super League Triathlon, MX Endurance, Bahrain Endurance and Phoenix Foundation. You seem to collect companies like you collect sporting medals. Welcome to the show, Chris. Oh, thanks, Tanya. Jesus, Ben, that was a long time ago. The, the racing. I'm like, oh, yes. wow. We're yeah, bringing yeah. back all the old memories. So we're going to have to drill down into that brain today and, and um, bring out some of those those uh, memories because we do want to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, it was a, it's a lifetime ago, but no, it was a great mm-hmm. time in my life and and I took a lot from that period of my life. So, yeah, happy cool. to, we'll, happy we'll to come dive in. That. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to start with two questions I ask everybody. Can you tell me about your cultural background and upbringing? Um, my cultural background, my mother was from New Zealand. She was a Maori. Um, she came up, she worked for Air New Zealand and she she came over to Australia. She met my father on a flight. Um, my dad was a Bondi boy, um, grew up in Bondi, um, 14 years older than my mother, so he was a bit of a tiger. And they got together. They moved. We, I was born in the eastern suburbs in Darlinghurst, grew up in, uh, in Coogee and moved to the Sutherland Shire at the age of, of 12. And um, I have an, an older brother and a younger brother. And, yeah, I went to school at Kirawee High School here and a great place to grow up in the Sutherland Shire. So um, tell me, what's your money style? Would you call yourself a spender, a saver or an in-betweener? I'd say I'm an in-betweener. I've never really, um, I often think this myself, I've never, I've always been passionate about sport and thrown everything into sport and bought things, but I've never been a car guy or a, yeah. or a fashion guy. Or, so I haven't really got anything that I really like to spend money on. I spend money on experiences. I guess that's been um, part of my life, travelling the world and living abroad. Yeah. I do enjoy spending money on things that I will, that I can do as opposed to things that I have and own. But, yeah, um, yeah I consider myself a good saver and, and relatively yeah, fisc- fiscally astute, I think. Is Very good. I like that word. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So I'm going to go back and, and start into your sporting career. And I, I guess it's always nice to go back to the beginning. I, I read somewhere that you showed a lot of sporting talent in, in primary school. I mean, how did you get into triathlons? Yeah, I grew up running. I think, uh, you know, back then I was born in 73. And so... You know, a lot of us back then there was no you weren't really diagnosed with ADD or hyper. And I think I, you know, knowing now what that is, I, I think I was probably you know, hyperactive and, and ADD. And I think my father and mother saw a 
a great way to burn off that that energy was to throw me into to sports that wore me out, and that sort of dragged me to little athletics and running and and surfing and surf club, and and it was just a natural progression doing that, and I loved doing it, and I found that I was quite talented at it. So yeah. triathlon sort of came about when I was at college, but I was really focused through high school on on trying to make the Olympics as a runner. I was the best runner in Australia at, at a high school level, and I enjoyed doing it. I think when you're a young kid and you find something you enjoy and and especially growing up here in the Sutherland Shire, there were so many great peers to to look up to and to work out with and train with that uh, yeah. I just just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think my father saw an opportunity through sport to to get me through university and and to get scholarships through university. So. I think sport was really encouraged on that end within my household because, you know, I don't think dad ever saw me, mum or dad ever saw sport as a as, a, as an option for, for work. I thought, yeah. thought they, they definitely saw that as something we did after school. They were very, very focused on our education. Yeah. and uh, But it wasn't until, you know, going spending some time at the Australian Institute of Sport when I was in year 10 and 11 and, and I was talent ID'd as a potential Olympian coming into the Atlanta Games that I had these deeper conversations with my dad and uh, he was more more about, look, if you can get a scholarship at an American university or Australian university through sport, great, but that's where sport ends for you, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and that was sort of how it went by and then I, I took a running scholarship at the University of New South Wales. I, I, was, I studied a Bachelor of Commerce degree there and, um, and it was during that university time that I realised triathlon was a, a potential option to, to pursue a career at. I was a good swimmer. It was just starting to become a, a big sport here in Australia. Yeah. And I was working at Sizzler at the time between Sizzler and, and a nightclub here in Caringbar called Coyotes. Ooh. And I was <laughs> so I was I was just, you know, being a typical uni student, but I could find these little triathlons I could do around New South Wales and win five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. So right. when you're making a hundred dollars on the weekend at a at a nightclub or you can make a thousand dollars at a triathlon down in in Nowra. Yeah. I naturally started taking up this sport of triathlon and, and winning these races and making some money. So I saw an opportunity there, which my dad shot down and said, look, pursue a career in triathlon if that's your dream after you finish university. <laughs> good advice, Dad, I guess, in, in a way. I mean, it's kind of kind of good advice and bad advice, isn't it? Because you, um, you've got that degree and you've got that to sort of fall back on, but at the same time, you did make a successful career out of sport. Yeah, now I'm a father. At the time, I thought Dad was quite intense, but now I'm a father. I guess I totally understand where his head was at. At the time, yeah. I used to think, why are you more liberal like my friend's parents and you know, my <laughs> mates were flying up and living in, in, in the UK or living in Europe and chasing this dream and they all went to Atlanta and I unfortunately didn't go to Atlanta. I was stuck yeah. at uni. Yeah. Um, so I graduated in 96 and uh, moved overseas. I, I, actually, I lied. I took a job at Bankers Trust. I graduated at the end of 95 and I was working at Bankers Trust um, for about six months as an accountant. I was, yeah. They put me through my master's degree at, at um, Charles Sturt University. So wow. I got that out of them and, yeah. and then I literally packed up and, and left. I, I lasted yeah. eight months and and moved to moved Pretty to Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and chased yeah. his career in sport, which was, yeah. I think, Dad was a bit, Mum and Dad were a little disappointed, but ultimately it worked out in the end. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Were you actually selected for the Olympics in Atlanta? No, I was, I was selected. So basically, Atlanta, I didn't go to the trials because yeah. I was stuck okay. with the university, and then yeah. that was sort of the catalyst that drove me to to move overseas. Um, 
and and pursue a career. I was, I was 23. I was 20. Yeah. I, and I was 22 years of age. I was like I was young, and, okay. and I just said to Dad and, and everyone, "Look, I've done all the. I've done everything right. I, yeah. I tried at school. I wasn't the best at school, but I worked hard. I've got the well, uni degree. Yeah. I've done everything. I really want to frame myself into something that I'm passionate about. I'm quite an obsessive personality anyway, yeah. and um." And and if it doesn't work out, at least I travel for a few years. I will come back and I can lean on my degree. That was sort of my mindset. Yeah. And uh, once once Australians make that decision to move overseas, when you do is when you're doing sports outside of the the rugby leagues or the AFLs and the big sports that are yeah. cricket that are here, you know, there's a great Australian expat community that reside overseas. I, I lived in Boulder, Colorado originally before moving to Switzerland and a lot of the cycling guys, Robbie McEwen, you know, yeah. Nick Gates, uh, Hank Vogels, Cadell Evans, they were, all, they were all young guys living in the south yeah. of France and it was fantastic. And, uh-huh. and yeah, just as I sort of built a career and and within, what, 18 months later I was world champion in a sport and and then, yeah, held that world number one all the way through to through Sydney, through the Sydney that, Olympics. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's quite an achievement. I mean, w- were you... Was that the sort of goal to be number one all the time? I mean, is that what drives a sports person at that level? Yeah, I think you know, it's sort of t- sports a relatively easy endeavour if you've if you've got some talent at it. I guess it's 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 just a matter of consistency and uh, it really the sport of triathlon or running and most of those individual sports really suit my personality and I think it's a personality trait that that sees people excel in either team sports or individual sports. Yeah. And I was I'm I'm a very obsessive driven individual I don't sleep I I, I I like solving problems and and the sport of triathlon really presented that to me I'm I'm consistent with myself I work hard and all the things I think I give credit to my mum and dad that really instilled that in, in us as kids that nothing's for free if you work hard you, you you get things and and so it really resonated when I moved to Europe there was a, a like-minded young Australians living there and and the big advantage we have is you're all in money-wise to get there. So there's no, like, if things are going south, you, you solve the problem with your peers. A lot of the English or the, a lot of the American friends of mine that were there, you know, they're an hour flight in their home, you know, and and, and so if things aren't going well, they go and see mum and mum cooks them a meal and they sit down and sulk for a couple of weeks and they come yeah. back. For us, we had to sort those problems out. So it made you very, very tough and resilient and and, and able to to exist in new communities, which is tough, and, and, and travel on a circuit, which is very, very draining whilst was pre-social media. So whilst it looks, nowadays you follow it on social media, it looks yeah. glamorous and mag- magnificent. Yeah, they're, the, they're the race days. Most of it's quite yeah. mundane and boring and, and, and just about consistent work. So I, I, I absolutely adored my racing years. I was very, I'm naturally a competitive person. I, I really found that competitive fix was answered in, in sport. And for me, you know, being a youngster, you just want to be the best in your street, and then you want to be the best in your suburb, then you want to be the best in your region, then it's the state, then it's the country. Ultimately, you just you just follow, yeah, you follow this progression, and then it becomes yeah. you want to be the best in the world, and you want to win Commonwealth World Championship, Olympic medals, and yeah. and and yeah. whatever whatever challenge they put in front of you that that is a measuring stick within your sport, you want that title, and I think okay. uh, uh, that worked for me. That's how it progressed. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And did you have a team of, you know, nowadays everybody has a coach for this, that and the other, you know, a running coach, a um, mental coach, um, all those sorts of things. Is that something that you had? Yeah, I, I, I raced uh, my first year out of the country. I left. I was, uh, luckily, I represented the Cronulla Surf Club at the World Surf Lifesaving Championships in Durban, and then from that trip, 
I, I went to Europe and I was racing for a French club in, in Tricastan, which is a small uh, sort of southwestern Europe near Avignon. And so I was based there and they provided a lot of the coaching staff and, and a lot of the, the nutritionists as part of that club structure. But for me, I, I, I found a, a doctor at that point who she was a, a psychologist and um, I always believed my, in a bit, my, my ability to be successful was more a mental one than a physical one. I, I felt that I could scrap pretty well. I was, uh, I was able to suffer and push myself and, and, and do the workloads, but I, I often second-guessed whether I was you know, worthy of a title and, and usually uh-huh. use, losing losing races for me came about, I believe, through my own personal self-destruction as opposed to being beaten by an, another individual. That's how I viewed it. And so yeah. I, my, my main team revolved around my main strength and conditioning coach, my agent and Susan Krafner, my my mental coach who was with me since 97. She's, wow. yeah, she's amazing. And she she worked with schizophrenics, which everyone laughs about now, but her, her, her PhD was on schizophrenia and the, the, the behaviours of athletes and the similarities between schizophrenics and athletes. Nice one. <laughs> I wonder if you were the guinea pig there. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> Fair enough. But, I, you know, I always find it quite fascinating that um, I think anything in life is, is a mind game, isn't it? If you put your mind to it and you're in a clear space, you can kind of excel at anything you undertake, but it is clearing out that. Clutter. I think, yeah, and I think yeah. it's really interesting to hear someone like you talk about self-doubt because I think often when we look at uh, someone who's the best in the world at something, um, you, you can't imagine that there could ever be self-doubt in there, but that's obviously the damaging thing. Yeah, well, it's instinctively human to to question. It's it's a protective mechanism, right? We have fight or flight reaction, or yeah. most of the time we we question every action because fundamentally we're here to protect ourselves. So self doubt yeah. is a protective mechanism that you need to get over. Everybody suffers, whether it's in business, but in in sport in particular, when you're when you're looking to perform and, and you have to perform and and you're under duress, I always call it duress. But when you're in pain, yeah. you know everyone's positive when everything's going well. You know if you ask if you ask the football team a month before the grand final if they're going to win, they go yeah they're going to yeah we're going to win it. But ask them the night before or the morning of. That's when the yeah. doubts come in, and doubts. and ask them halfway through the game when they're uncomfortable, they're being bashed up, and they're being belted, and and that's the. That's how I, I quickly learned that it's, it's easy to be positive when things are great, but to be positive when you're under stress, that, that requires um, concentration and focus and, and learning mechanisms on how to how to yeah. deal with that. So you've got, you, you raised two points that I think are really interesting. Um, the first, I'll come back to it because I think under, under stress and, and we'll come back to that one if I can, but the second one was you mentioned football teams, you know, ask them halfway through the game. What's interesting in a football game is that you do have a halftime break and you do get that mentoring from your coach and, and I think you know, there's, there's a million of us that have watched any type of game would love to be in the room when, when someone's talking to the losing team and the winning team about what has to happen in the next half. Um, but in triathlon, whilst it is broken into three parts, do you have anyone coming to you about the, the way you're going to tackle the next part of the race? No, it's, it's it's totally a line. You last, you know, I always say it's that morning. I always vividly, looking back on my career, I always remember that morning look at yourself in the mirror, like you'd go to the bathroom, you have your shower and then you it's race morning, you're very anxious and nervous, you have that that anxiety in your stomach, the pit of your stomach and and you you know, and everyone's delicately walking around you to like everyone in the family's trying to be, yeah. be nice. But it, it's it's a very lonely mm. time, right? And, and and it's it's what you miss the most. I, I think you miss 
wanting something so much or being so engaged with something so much that means so so much to you. But it's a very um, peaceful yet daunting moment and you have to deal with those things. And I think you you learn over time and and, and that's where I I say Suzanne, my my, my mental conditioning coach, was incredible. You learn behaviours and mechanisms that you can deal with in a race that keep you in the zone, they call. And, uh, And I think I perfected that relatively quickly because I don't think many athletes in my era and, and still to this day realise the strength of um, of the mind, uh, of what it takes. Because it's not sexy. You can't put it on Instagram and people yeah. don't really want to talk about it. It's just not cool. They'd rather show you in the in the gym lifting big weights and how, how cool my <laughs> muscles are. But that doesn't win championships, right? Championships are won by believing you can win and executing. You know, you can be the world's greatest trainer, but if you don't execute, you don't have a title. 100%. What I actually think there is a bit of a movement to, you know, mindfulness, um, engaging the mind in, in better practices now. I think lockdown and coronavirus has taught us all how to be stuck alone and, and maybe deal with all that noise that goes on inside our brains and start to look at things like meditation and so on. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel you're right, but I, I'm hoping that there is a bit of, um, and, and, and again, it's not sexy. I don't know how you put it on um, social media, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like to think that perhaps that people are starting to pay a bit more attention to that side of it. But I'd like to come back to the part you mentioned before, the stress. And, and you know, I've watched many friends, people we, we know in common, compete in Ironman championships. And it is one of the most gruelling things I've ever seen. I've done a mini little triathlon once when I was in my 20s, and, you know, and, and thought I was a hero for that. But I just don't know how you make yourself push through when because you must be in agony sometimes in Hawaii for example uh you had I don't know what the temperature what was the temperature that year you first won oh it's always up it's always 100% humidity and and 30 35 degrees Celsius but I always tell people it's the ambient air temperature because you're out in the lava fields and people like oh okay sounds hot but Whenever you go to a sauna next yeah. time, you see those little rocks that they put that you tip the water on? They're lava yeah. rock. Right? So <laughs> that amplifies the heat. So you're, you're running through, yeah, kilometres and kilometres of lava rock. But yeah, I, I, I was an accidental Ironman, to be honest. I, I always wanted to be a, an, an Olympic athlete, Olympic gold medalist, and I did a couple of Commonwealth Games and I qualified for Sydney, but my mother passed and so they dropped me from the team on the eve of the Games, even though I was world number one. And I, I really... I was devastated after. I nearly retired from triathlon. Um, and so I, that's when I moved to the States and I gave up on, not gave up on Australia, but I moved away from the Australian yeah. Federation completely yeah. and, and started running my own game. And, and in America, when you move to the States, they, they invented Ironman. And the only thing that exists in the, in the States is is their yeah. their sports, right? And Ironman is one of them. Yeah. And, and I was in the, at, at the same time, I, I went through with an athlete that everyone will know called Lance Armstrong. We raced... Yeah. As juniors together, he was a couple of years older than me. He did triathlon, ultimately became a, a cyclist and won the yeah. tour. He didn't win it. He did win at seven, but they were revoked because of his drug use. Yes. But we had a – I raced with Lance, so I went through that whole era. And and so there was a – whilst he was so negative, there was a lot of toxicity around what he did. At that time, he brought a lot of attention to triathlon and cycling within the United States of America. He won the tour in 1999 and 2000. He was, there was a Texas president in George W. Bush. He was from Texas. Uh, it had never been it was so big and I was able to ride the wave of that and it brought a completely different demographic of people through. So I, when I made the decision to do Ironman, I actually thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll go and do win Ironman 
because I did the Commonwealth Games. I went Hawaii and then I'll go back and I'll win Athens. Like, that was my plan. But yeah. I had no idea how difficult Ironman racing was. Right. I just thought it was swimming, biking, running. Yeah. And the Olympic distance is two hours of racing, a bit less, an hour 40 of racing. The Ironman is eight hours, so it's four times the distance. It's, it's completely different. And it took me, whilst I was mastering the Ironman races outside of Kona, the issues with the heat and humidity of Kona for me were, were intense and it took me four years to finally get the mix right and start performing there. But I, I didn't enjoy Ironman racing at all. Right. I, um, it was, yeah, it was basically I'd started down this path and like like I said, I'm relatively obsessive compulsive. I um, Once I started down this path and I hadn't got the result I was after, I just continued until I got that result. And uh, right. and that's what I ended up doing 10 Konas, which was, <laughs> I'll never forget. Crazy them. man. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back. They're like, you miss it? I'm like, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and, and do you think it's taken a toll on your body? Um, I think I left at the right time. I, I see a lot of my peers that hung around and, and and I see the beating up they took. But I, you know, I was ready to retire because I didn't love Ironman racing. And it, yeah, okay. It, you sort of fall into this into this position where you become the world's best and you have all these sponsors and partners that that rely on your success and mm. and it becomes your your main income source. So you're stuck between this rock and a hard place. People say, oh, oh why don't you retire? I mean, well, I, well, I need I need the money. If I retire and announce my retirement, mm. all my sponsors will drop me. So you sort of, I was preparing for retirement from the sports. I, I'd had my, Sienna, my second daughter was born in 2006 and I was winning Kona 6 and 7, 10. So by 2009, I promised Emma we'd move back to Australia. Um, I'd win Kona in 2009 again and, and then I'd probably chase a London Olympic berth that will be, will be retired by then. It didn't happen that way. I, I lost in 2009, so I went back in 2010. We moved back to Australia and I, I went to go for London, but I'd retired within my own head and I was starting, but I, I didn't announce that publicly because I wanted to make sure I could continue my partnerships with sponsors and be able to pivot, give myself time to pivot into my business interests, which which we ultimately did um, yeah. by 2012. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about that, but I just want to know in your mind, out of all the races you've done and all, all the things that you've achieved, I mean, is there something in particular that stands out as your favourite, the, the one that kind of makes you feel, you know, I'm really proud of that? Yeah, well, look, winning the, the ITU Triathlon World Championships November 16, 1997, again, it was, it was considered impossible. An Australian hadn't won that race since 91. A gentleman called Miles Stewart and Greg Welsh, an Australian, had won it in 1990, but it was the first ever year of world championships, um, you know, official world championships. But we're going into an Olympic cycle, the first ever Olympic cycle. It was Olympic ranking points. Um, I'd been leading the world rankings all year. I was relatively new to it. So I'd gone from a junior talent to a, an actual champion of the sport. Mm-hmm. And I was going in as the favourite against probably the greatest the greatest triathlete of our generation and top three in the world, an English gentleman called Simon Lessing, who had never lost. I'd, wow. he, and he'd been beaten twice, um, once by me earlier in the year and, and once by another Australian um, later in the year. And so he'd had two defeats in that season but was coming in as a five-time world champion and favourite to win in Sydney. And I'd 
as I told you, I'd left Australia when my father wasn't overly excited about my career choice to be a professional. Even though I was world number one, he just sort of thought it was relatively Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and everything was happening overseas and it was you didn't have social media. So unless you rang them up or they bought a magazine every month, they didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. Nowadays, they'd be more aware. And and um, and that race was held in, in, in Perth in Australia. So mum and dad were able to come and oh. witness that race. So oh, wow. it was unreal. There's 100,000 spectators. Is and yeah, to win that at 23 is something I'd always wanted to do since I was a kid. Yeah. And yeah, it was just being able to say to mum and dad, This is what I do. Yeah. You know, and they're seeing how big it is. It's live yeah. on TV. It's, you know, all the Juan Antonio Samaranch, all the Olympic people wow. are there. Yeah, world champion. It was, it was huge. And it changed, that literally changed my life. Yeah. You know, big sponsors came along and, and, yeah. That was that was the changing point in my life. So that yeah. to me will always be the most special race, even though it happened so early in my career. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so coming back to your businesses, obviously, I guess the businesses that um, that I'm aware of are mostly in that kind of sporting arena. Have they come about through those connections that you made at that time, and those sponsorships and so on, and, and the people you meet? Oh, without question. I think my my first big deal was there was a company called Under Armour, which everyone's familiar with now. I'm really close friends with the founder, Kevin Plank. I remember I was their first ever sponsored athlete. So I can tell a funny money story because for years, you know, Reebok and Adidas kept trying to sponsor me and and I'd done this deal with um with with Under Armour, which was an ink spot of a company. Yeah. And every year, myself and Michael Phelps, who everyone knows. Kevin Plank, the owner, used to say, instead of us paying you so much money, why don't you take some stock, right, in, in, in our company? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want stock. Forget it. Just pay me cash, brother, cash. And, every, and it wasn't until 2015 when I was in Rio, myself, uh, George St. Pierre, who was an MMA fighter, and Michael Phelps were in. We went down with Kevin in the Under Armour plane down to Rio to launch Under Armour in prior to the Rio Olympics. And Kevin brought out this document that basically said to me and, and, and Michael Phelps, had we have taken stock when he oh. <laughs> when he told us to take stock and he was telling everyone down there how much money we would have. And it oh. was and that was a hard lesson learned. A very, oh, very that's hard really lesson funny learned. because I actually thought you were going to tell me that he was going to show you how much your stocks were actually worth, but you, you didn't. We didn't take any. No, no, we both of us kept saying, I don't want stock in this money. So we every year, oh. and he kept paying us more and more money each year. Yeah, like our, our yeah. deals were bigger and bigger, and they were magnificent deals. And he was always saying, "Guys, just take half this and half that." And both of us said no. And yeah, it was it was one of the biggest <laughs> mistakes we ever made. But I, it was it was Kevin Plank who told me because he was a, a, a an NFL player. He said, "Your network is your net worth." I always remember that. And um, and he said, you're in a very, very lucky predicament being a champion in sport because you meet a lot of people, but you need to you need to engage that time, not around your own self-importance, yeah. but take your time to understand other people that are in your group and, and how you can work with them. And I really took that on board very early in my career. So I built a great network and that ultimately helped solidify a lot of my businesses. So when I, after 2012, I took a job in a, building a, a big sports centre in, in Phuket um, where a, a German philanthropist called Klaus Heben wanted to build a big international school and sports centre and I'd written yeah. a book that he'd read um, called I'm Here to Win. It's a New York bestseller mm-hmm. and he he said, look, I want you to come and run this centre. So I took Mick Lennon, a group of us from around here, and yes. we went over there and we built this this amazing centre and that's what sort of took me out of Australia post-triathlon and was my first venture 
running a running someone's major operation. And I was able to apply a lot of the things I'd learned at uni, but also able to plug into a lot of the networks that I created within sport. And that was the beginning of of building out a lot of our business interests yeah. in that part of the world that that moved into Europe and to the States. And what what are you proud of in, in the business world nowadays? What's I mean I mean I guess you've had to pivot a bit given COVID. That's obviously put a, a sort of a pin in a lot of probably plans or maybe a pause what what are the things that you're working on at the moment that you're really enjoying or interested in or, or maybe even looking at differently now yeah look I think the, the biggest thing I learned uh, before I worked what I always applied I guess in sport and I, I I thought it was applicable in the business world I guess you, you know you think was that I always believed everything anything was possible like yeah. if you put your mind to it and you and you worked out the problems you can achieve anything and I honestly believe that and I, I yeah. guess like I never I didn't. I always saw opportunity in 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 problems, right? Oh, there's a problem yeah. we can solve that, and the problem will be solved. When I got into the real world, I guess you know, there's a sports world, and I realised a lot of people don't think that way. Actually, most people <laughs> don't think that way. But when you're around high performing sports people, they yeah. all think that way, right? Right. They everyone does. So yes, they're, they're, they're always this this yes, we can do it, or how do we solve the problem, or what do we? They they they're glass half full people. Where in the real world. I realise that the glass half empty people, they'll always yeah. tell you the problem and why you shouldn't do it, where right. it was a different mindset. So I think I'm most proud of that I applied my same sporting mindset to my business interests. When people are like, that seems like a, why would you go to Thailand and do that? That seems like, yeah. well, why wouldn't you? And I saw the opportunity. It was like when we started, when I built the money company and we started working with our clients like the Royal Family of Bahrain and these billionaire guys, yeah. People were like, well, everyone I spoke to here were like, well, why would they deal with you? But I was like, well, why wouldn't they deal why with you? Why not? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was just a mindset. So yeah. I think I'm most proud that I, the lesson I learned from sport, I applied outside of swimming, bike, and running into another realm, and it's just as successful. So I really believe it's a mindset, yeah. right? It's, and, it's, and it's, yeah. It, it was one of my questions I had for you, what do you think the synergies are? But I think you, you, you've nailed it spot on the head, and it's it's fascinating to me because, um, you know, I've known you for a little while, and I always think to myself, um, you're the most optimistic optimist I've, I've ever met, you know, <laughs> which is, um, which. so, you know, it, it, it's exciting to be around, but I hadn't actually thought about the fact that you were probably surrounding yourselves with, with like you said, those like-minded people all the time. So obviously yeah. that's a normal way to be. Yeah, um, and, and, and you're used to failing, right? So, yeah. so so here in the real world, like <laughs> me and my peers, sporting peers always call it the real world, but yeah. whether it's real or fail, I don't know, but there's this fear of failure. That that, yes. that 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 restricts people from making taking the first step. Risk, yeah. risk right? In yeah. in sport, failure is a guaranteed. In fact, winning is the thing that you're less likely to do. Yeah. And, and so we're so used to failing and then picking yourself yeah. up again and going, okay, what can I fix? And and that's part of the process. We hear failure is the end game for people here. They're like, oh, I don't think that'll work. So they never take the they step. Don't do it. They yes. don't do it. And that's where I think I, I found I, I saw my ability to navigate very quickly through this sports and entertainment space and build a, a great agency yeah. that's working was because I just grabbed everything. Had go. Yeah. I just went, boom, thank you. You don't want it. I'll yeah. take that. I can do that. I'll sort of, oh, I can do that. I'll do that. Yeah. And people would say, but do you know how to do it? I'm like, no, but I'll work it out, <laughs> you know, and, yeah, exactly. and that was sort of how we were able to to really solidify our our ourselves in this marketplace and, and and really grow our business and yeah COVID 
COVID has been difficult, but I think we're so robust as a as a business, we've been able to survive COVID. And, uh, and well, with and your your mindset, it's not going to stop you, is it? So um, <laughs> it's not something that's going to slow you down. But um, yeah, that's 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 really cool. I, I yeah, I really I think that's really important for people. And I mean, along the way, other than um, accepting shares, is there any other money tips you've got for people? <laughs> money, yeah, except shares. If, if a big life company offers them to yeah. take them, that's, <laughs> a, that's a big company. one. Yeah, even a little one. Um, my, my big, look, I, I've never been, in my money tips, I've always been like, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm frugal, but I'm, I've always always been relatively responsible um, in the sense that I've, I've thought nothing can last forever, right? So I, I you know, and, and my wife and I often joke about it. Imagine it was just you and I, we'd be doing so well, but you've got the kids and yeah. so you, you obviously <laughs> obviously your, your mindset moves forward to, to think of their future. But, you know, I think the best the best lesson I've, I've learned, and it's probably not a great money lesson, was if, if you're doing it for someone else, not for yourself, then it's probably not worth doing, right? Like if you need to buy something and you need a Ferrari because the bloke down the road is going to think you're cooler, then yeah. I think you're an idiot. Like I've, uh, like yeah. I only buy things I need and buy things that I can afford and I, I don't like debt, even though debt is good, right? And, you know, and I learned that at school and debt is a good thing. Good debt is good. Yeah. But I've always felt a, a responsibility to, Probably is because of my brothers, and that if I owe you money, I pay you back money, whether it's the bank or anyone. So I only I'm relatively frugal and fiscally responsible in that sense, and it's not that hard. Like no, when you, if you believe in compounding, right, yeah. and and it's just a basic mathematical formula, yeah. you only need to make four percent a year every year. And just put the money and just work it out. It's it's not, and then everyone sort of looks at you after twenty years. I know all my peers that were in the nineties were making they make a million bucks a year in the nineties. Yeah. And they're broke now. But yeah. I'm like, dude, if you just put 500000 out of sight every year and you were getting 5%, that's how much you'd have now. And they said, they go, that's not right. I'm like, dude, that's that's a compound interest formula, <laughs> totally mate. Right. Yeah. It's 100% right. And that's all we did. So I believe in the strength of compounding. Back yourself. That's the yeah. best money tips I've, I've had. And, and well, they are the best money tips, full stop, actually. So do you think that in the, the sporting world that people – get paid a lot of money at, at a young age and don't know what to do with it? Oh, I can tell you 100%. I've seen yeah, it okay. my, myself. You, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to be um, a good athlete, right? And, yeah. and the issue yeah, and the issue athletes have is you live in a, in a vacuum. You live in a very fake world where everyone adores you, yeah. everyone does everything for you, everyone, you're the best, you're the great. And the, if you're not mature enough or clever enough. There, there is an IQ attached to this, I guess, yeah. to, to understand that this is fake, right? Milk it for what it is. But you, you need to, just because you win a race or you win a football game, doesn't mean you're, fiscal, you're, you're an intelligent banker and know what to do with your money, yeah. right? So, you know, ask for help in the same way you do in sport. And uh, yeah. But a lot of them don't. A lot of them think mm. they're... they're they're going to age like wine and and they're going to get better and better and, and made us a very, very small lifetime. In, in it sport. is, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess people don't think of the, the tomorrow side of it. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and a lot of the time, yeah, it is hard because, you know, you are obsessed and caught up in a very, very little world and everybody, I think the hardest thing to talk about anybody with is money because everyone thinks, everyone has an opinion, everyone knows what's best for their money, right, even though they've got zero 
I do this with my younger brother all the time. He's always broke and borrowing money. And, <laughs> but if you speak to him about money, he's always got the next best thing. You're oh, gonna, yeah. like, you, know, you know, so I think it's very difficult to have these conversations, especially with an alpha male or an alpha athlete that thinks they're the smartest, the greatest, the strongest, yeah. unless they have the confidence and to, to, to put people in place to help them with that, then they're going to fail. And, and I know a lot of people that did that, that put people in place and that are very, very successful and that put themselves in great positions. And, and that old saying, money makes money, it is very much, it's very true. You're in an op- you have opportunities that are presented to yourself that you're able to take if you have capital to work with. But if you don't, you miss those opportunities because you can't take them. So, and I've got friends that were driving the great cars and did have, and when we did go to Europe, they were staying in the big mansions yeah. with the, you know, and they were, and they just burnt it all. And they've got, probably yeah. got the, one of the best watch collections in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's, uh, yeah, it's all, yeah, it's nobody all over. cares. Yeah, yeah now nobody yeah. cares. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's look. I think it's something we we see a lot of, and and it's why we wanted to create this podcast is to open up the discussion about money. Um, you know, I, I I don't imagine all the superstars of the sporting world are listening, um, but but everyday people are, and you know, just encouraging people to talk a little bit more about it and, yes. and to take a bit of confidence um, in their process or to outsource it if they're not good at it is is what we think is is really important. But it's also a little bit of putting a bit of brain power to it, you know, like yeah. anything, if you want to do good in anything, you've got to sort of think a bit about it, how you're going to go about it. And I think um, we don't do that so much with our money. Um, money. You know, it's it's tap and go and it's all online and up in the air now. We're not sort of counting out our hard-earned pocket money and, yeah. and, you know, it's changed. So, you know, I think that takes away from some of that. But I I really love that saying you mentioned earlier that you said Kevin Plank said to you, which is your network is your net worth. I yes. think that's gold. I'm going to have to steal that. <laughs> and it's stuck with me. It's, it's always stuck with me that, and, and it's so yeah. true because I've, you know, when when I've needed something or I've, I'll ring up, you know, Kevin or I ring up, you know, Leonid or I ring up, and these these people are yeah. multi billionaires. Very, very, very. And I'm fortunate that they happen to do my sport, but yeah. and they're very resourceful of their time. They're not. They're not. A lot of people go, "Oh, you've got all these billionaire mates. They're giving you money. They don't give you anything. No, but they yeah. will give you their time, and that time, time is valuable. And Absolutely. and their opinion, I value a lot. They're they're they're, yeah. they're micro mentors without without question. And they're able to plug you in where they can. They're happy to do that. So oh, you should speak to Joe Blow and, and that yeah. goes on. But going back to the money thing that you said before, it's true. I think I think there's a fear attached to yeah. to money, right? People, yeah. you know, it's so hard to earn it that well, the people are fearful they're going to lose it. So that is the always- same. Yeah, it's the fear of failure, which is yes. what you talked about as an athlete that you learn to overcome regularly because you're always failing. You're more rarely winning. So um, people with money just feel that they can't afford to keep failing with money. Yes. <laughs> many people do, sadly. But, um, you know, so they choose to do nothing, I think, sometimes. Yeah, that, that's failure. Yeah. That's not taking a step. I think the biggest failure you learn, and you can watch Ray Dalio, you can watch all the great, the great, investors and Warren Buffett, they'll always say the biggest mistake you can make is to not be in the market. Stop trying to read the market. Just be in it. Like if you just followed the S&P 500 since 1955 to now, you put 10 grand in, it would be worth, like just do the math. It's compounding. It's, 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 so the biggest mistake we can make is, is to not be in the game and, and, 
And I, th- I always say my younger my younger brother is a bit of an investor. He sees himself, but he's one of those painful investors that is constantly looking at the stock price and and yeah. uh, go, oh, it's down. Yeah. I'm going to sell. Try, trying to read the market. I'm like, bro, yeah. let, let it go. Don't even said, look. <laughs> yeah, the stock price for, the stock price is irrelevant to the VAT to, to what's happening within in, in the internals of the company. So if you believe in the stock and you believe in the company, then it's worth buying. But um, yeah, let's let someone like yourself who knows what they're doing and is in this space all the time and just yeah plug the money in and and be in the game be in the game yeah no it's so true so true and you know I also really love that get comfortable with failing you know I think that's something that's really important for people and you like and you're right in that real world sense as as you call it (laughs) (laughs) everyday life I guess we don't like failure do we we don't sort of celebrate it or or see it as something we can just learn from and do better from. We sort of see it as a really terrible thing. Yeah, well, it's gossiped about. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? It's very much, oh, did you hear Joe Blow? His business failed. And if so everyone's very fearful we're in sport. There's only one, there was only one winner. So the, the yeah. other 100 people in the race all failed. So you've got more <laughs> on the failure side than you did on the winner side. So we yeah. always look at the winner, go, bastard. Yeah. Was, what do I need to do to be him? So you're always looking upwards as opposed to looking backwards you know and so I I think that that fear of failure it's it's just a it's self-doubt it's it's 100% built into your own protective mechanisms and if you can if you can go through your processes and look at everything and say you know what this makes sense then trust your instincts yeah. and go with it right like it's back yourself, back yeah. yourself. and if anything it's a you you'll come out the other side of that journey a better person anyway. You'll have learned a lot, whether whether you're successful or you're not, not. successful. You're that. going to take those lessons and you're going to apply them to something else. So there is no failure. They're just stepping stones to, to something else. Well, that's, that's another good um, sort of point that you raised, which is take those lessons and apply them to. So that's those 1% improvements, isn't it? Yeah, if you yeah. just keep taking all those little failures and adding them up and changing something every step of the way, you just get better and better. In sport, we call it marginal gains. Ah, marginal okay. gains. It's, uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the one percenters that make the difference. It's fixing those. Everybody is ninety nine percent perfect, and yeah. on a race day, it's that those little one percenters that make the difference. And yeah. and you learn those on on your lessons through failures, not your lessons yeah. through success. In fact, if you have too much success, I think you can you can miss a lot of the important things that may uh, may mo your business to some degree may give you the yeah. protections that you need. So it's learning through failure that you know how to to continually grow and scale and, and, and solidify and strengthen your business. Mm. Mm. How do you, as a parent, um, teach your kids that, do you think? Oh, man, my, this, my, my kids. <laughs> don't I, I don't. I try. They just roll yeah. their eye. Oh, they don't listen. You don't listen. <laughs> but I, I, I feel I'm a, I was relatively similar. I, it's just a yeah, very different upbringing. I was always obsessed with with sport, I was never in the house, um, and where my I never had daughter, I never had sisters, so I only yeah. had brothers. So we're always doing something. So when my daughters are, yeah, they're, they're more social and they're with their friends, and and I'm sure that I did all the same thing. So I yeah. I have confidence in 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 their individualism and 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 what they think they'll be able to do, and and I'm happy to support them all the way, and I try the best I can to. Yeah. But I sound so much like my dad did. <laughs> I, I, I just hear myself sometimes and I think, oh, my God. It's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah, the, minute yeah. you, the minute you start spitting out those sentences your parents said to you, you think, oh, oh yeah, yeah. now. We've really, <laughs> we've really gone low. Yeah, 
totally, totally. Awesome. Well, Chris, it's been amazing talking to you. I love um, what you bring to everything in life. I think your enthusiasm is infectious. Um, you've been successful at everything. I'm sure you've failed at things too, but you've, you've uh, continued to pick up and, and learn from it. And I hope people get a lot out of that today because I think they're really important things that we can apply just to life in general. Um, and, yeah, I hope everybody's really enjoyed listening and thank you so much for your time. Too easy, Tanya. It was a breeze. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision-making nor to be taken as a substitute for personal advice. Please contact Amplify Wealth Management to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. Money Mind. If you have any questions about your financial future, please head to amplifywealth.com.au. Money Mind is available to download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Listener.